Is this a party or what? This the big bad sound. Take it out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wega Link with Celine and Alicia. Today, we're going to be talking about mental health in the Bahamas, and we're joined by Marlise McCartney. As we're discussing mental health, we would like to offer our Bahamian listeners a local resource for information regarding mental health in the Bahamas. We will be providing links in the episode description as well as on our social media platforms at Regalink Pod on Twitter and at Regalink Podcast on Instagram. The Bahamas Psychological Association is the professional body for psychologists and counselors in the Bahamas. Their website, bahamaspsych.org, includes professional resources, support lines, a psychological directory, as well as mental health resources, post-Hurricane Dorian, and for the pandemic. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at Bahamas Psych as well. So, like Alicia said, we are grateful to be joined today by Marlise McCartney, a Bahamian undergrad student studying in Canada. Marlise, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, so my name is Marlise. Um, I currently attend Western University in Canada. I'm studying an honor specialization in family studies and human development. I'm currently in my last semester of my program. And I'm intending on going into counseling psychology in the next couple of years once I finish my master's. Um, yeah. So you say that you study um, family studies and human development. Yeah. Um, why did you decide to go into your specific field? Well, when I first came to Western, I started off as a psych major. And as I got into the nitty gritty of the program, I kind of realized that my true interest was with relationships and relationships go a lot further than you know your significant other or your parental relationships with your siblings it goes way deeper beyond that and that's kind of where I found myself really infatuated with that almost dimension of psychology so I had the ability to specialize and kind of go that route so I was able to really just deep dive into what I was truly passionate about um, and so in a nutshell, family studies is that. You're studying dynamics of families, relationships, but that goes beyond that. It can go into how countries are put together and how family systems are in different places around the world. And human development pretty much discusses life from birth to death. Um, your ability to attach, your ability to love, your ability to connect with others, how you form your own sense of self, in a sense. Um, and that goes further into mental health, into how we can develop particular disorders um, and challenges throughout our lives and how we can successfully conquer those things and allow and help people to go on and lead relatively normal lives, even after they may have some, experienced some severe traumas in their life or they develop anxiety or depression throughout you know, living, kind of teaches us how to kind of backtrack and pick up the pieces and allow and teach individuals to cope and live on with the different things that challenge us I guess so um that is kind of why I chose my study because that is what I wanted to be able to do I myself have experienced trauma I have friends family loved ones as well and I think it's really important to not only acknowledge that experience but know where to go to get the help you need and to move forward and progress in life um so yeah 
So do you have any special like research interests that you're engaging in at Western right now? Right now, I'm taking a course that's essentially almost a free period where I'm conducting research on a topic that interests me. And I just have to follow along a guide in a qualitative format. So my current research right now is the pandemic's effect on the mental health of university students. And I'm kind of focusing on their ability to succeed in school. So how they're doing um, academically, how they're doing with their hygiene. So that means like your sleep hygiene, your habits, how you take care of yourself, how those things might've improved or digressed throughout the course of the pandemic, as well as sexual behavior. I found those things, those three areas have significantly changed throughout the course of the last year and a half. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. Very interesting. Like, I think that research is so important because I think a lot of the times the impact on your mental health has been understated in the pandemic. It's like, takes a backseat in the conversation. Obviously, the main thing being like the physical, you know, health that COVID affects on your body. But like, if you think of like the mental effect of lockdowns, um, having to be isolated, all of those things. I think it's very important to conduct that kind of research. And I think Alicia and I alluded to this in our first episode, and we were just kind of talking about our mental and catching up and how we've been doing during the pandemic and talking about therapy. So I think we just want to direct our conversation today on mental health in the Bahamas, especially during the pandemic, and how we can I guess, start a conversation on how we can foster a better understanding of the importance of looking after your mental health, any sort of like therapy methods, things like that, anything that we can do to improve our understanding of our mental and like what is the next step after we have that understanding of our mental health, then how can we, you know, seek help and all those other kind of things. So how do you think that accessibility of information about mental health in the Bahamas can foster a better understanding of the importance of looking after your mental health? Um, Well, I am a semi-believer of education is key. I think education and practice make perfect. So if we wanna go about improving the information in the Bahamas, the best way we can do that is to teach. And that starts from within the home. So a big part of my studies is home life and how home life essentially makes or breaks people. And it kind of, it dictates your success in life, dictates how you're able to handle real world situations and challenges. And if we were to begin teaching from the home, simple things like it's okay to not be okay, or um, that you're going to have some down days and that is okay. I think right now, our culture kind of dictates a really hard approach where it's just like, oh, you straight, it's okay. Like, just get up and go, you're fine. Um, or like the regions of the cribal kind of thing. But we need to be more understanding that there are times where it's, it's you're not okay. Things happen. Like we experience loss, we grieve, we deal with school. And I think school is something that isn't even really talked about the things, the bullying, the dynamic of high schools in the Bahamas in general foster and create so many mental health issues and concerns just in that time frame. 
there is so much more that can be done. And all of that education starts in the home. It starts with the parental teachings. It starts with what you allow, the kind of environment that you foster and how you raise your kids. Um, so my suggestion would be starting in the home and that could be educating parents. That could be having more resources available for individual sized learning. Not everyone's gonna go and read a research journal or article about particular things. But if we were to begin presenting information in a digestible format for Bahamian families, particularly parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunties, uncles, whatever, that would allow us to start to seep into the minds of our older population, but get into the minds of young people as well. And that is the biggest and most, I think, changing point. If we can get into the minds of our young people, we're able to change how our, and the whole next generation thinks. And then that's when it's off into the next generation that provides us with more, just with more in general. So starting in the home with proper information, just on the basics, the basics of emotion, the basics of how attachments are formed. So you understand how you as a parent are really impacting and forming your kids to know how they're going to go out in life, how they're going to handle things and deal with things. And then that can split off into schools as well. I know we have, you know, guidance counselors and we have some schools might have a psychologist, some many don't actually. Um, but that is the second point of contact, in my opinion, I would say in schools. So when people are presenting with particular issues, whether it be bullying, anxiety, depression, they're starting to present and appear to be going through something severe, having that point of contact, that professional in that school to say, okay, this is this is something that I need to be keeping an eye out for. Being able to identify when people are about to slip into that next stage of that thing, whether it be anxiety or depression, those are the most common forms of mental illness around the world. Being able to, to identify that and move forward with the proper procedure to deal with it and handle it, pass that child on to maybe a therapist or conduct that help in school if that's not an option for that individual or that family. Um, just identifying people who need help and helping them, not making it so inaccessible. Right now, a therapist can average from, my research suggests like $110 an hour to $160 an hour to see a psychotherapist. Initial um, appointments can range from $150 to $180 an hour. That is not affordable Bruh. for the average Bahamian family or income. It's, it's so inaccessible. And if that were different, I'm sure way more people would be getting help. But unfortunately right now, that's the kind of environment that we live in. So I would say educating on the basics, starting in the home, evolving into the schools, having more accessible help for those cases that need it, and overall just trying to see a thriving and Gen genuinely happy population is the beginning and that's just the beginning but that's the beginning creating that awareness yeah I agree that I, I think education is is the most important part like you like you talked about in starting discussions educating children especially so that they know how to treat themselves how to treat their friends and I'm as you were speaking I started thinking about um what we touched on a bit earlier about the renaming of the Ministry of Health to the Ministry of Health and Wellness because I was thinking about like whose responsibility is it to disseminate this information you know whose responsibility is it to inform adults about their behavior and how that affects their children and to like actually start affecting this change right and I'm thinking that it should be the responsibility of the Ministry of Health and Wellness 
now and I, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the renaming and like about hope like do you think that this is a sign of positive change are you optimistic about this I think it's definitely a step in the right direction because if you look around the world to most developed countries their healthcare system involves mental health so like just um where I live for example in London in Canada um hospitals have psychiatric wards or they have there's a hospital here that has a wing dedicated to um doctors therapy and other sorts of medical care for individuals who've experienced sexual assault or domestic violence and that is where people from all around the city are referred to to get that specialized tailored care and so I think it is definitely a step in the right direction because indicating wellness attaching it to health means you're acknowledging just the impact that mental health has on an individual and their general well-being and health and to me that also suggests that there's going to be focus on tailoring more hopefully more programs more information more education more help affordable and good help um, for our people so I'm pretty optimistic especially with the the younger people who are presented in parliament right now who have a better at least have a better idea of what mental health even means because if we look at previous governments they're all people over what their late 50s 60s so they they, they were born in the 50s like the prevalence of mental health then versus now are two completely separate worlds so I'm hoping that that will really strike some change and that's what we need is some change because our people need some help genuinely so I'm hopeful. Let's see. Yeah, I agree. And like such good points, because I think a big indicator of them making the name change is showing a sensitivity to mental health that really isn't seen a lot in Bahamian culture and society. When you see headlines of people who've died by suicide, instead using things like committed suicide and just the language around mental health and conversations about mental health, I think often they're put in the public eye and it's kind of a mockery of mental health in a way so I think this is a step in the right direction of rectifying those conversations that have happened um, previously and moving in towards a direction where there's a better understanding of the gravity of mental health and like its impact on a population and like you said the ultimate goal should just be like a happy population like I think that's the bare minimum yeah, I, I'm even in thinking about like the way we treat um, what we would like, unfortunately we use this word, but like most illnesses in the Bahamas have some form of like mental illness. And like the way we just make a complete joke out of these people is like, I think such a huge indicator of like the state of conversations around mental health in the Bahamas. Like what are your observations about like you know, how, the way we treat mental health in the Bahamas. Um, yeah, I'm just um, getting to it. Like, yeah. I think the way that mental health is treated <laughs> is genuinely a joke. Like, people genuinely think it's a funny kiki when you see Jeremy walking on the side of Shirley Street freaking out when cars passing by. You know what I mean? And that's not a joke. Like, he clearly needs some help. He clearly, you know, has some things going on, maybe some possible drug use, but... um particularly like maybe maybe he's bipolar maybe it's a manic and depressive state but we'll notice when he goes missing 
but then make fun of him when he's there. So much as they're thinking about what's going on behind that. Or like when I'm listening to the news, very, very rarely on the radio, you'll hear casually in conversation, people are talking about women dying by domestic violence and it's an, on a rise right now. There was a story on the news when I was home last, well, at least when I was last listening to the radio. And this woman, I'll never forget the story just because of how shocked I was. This woman had called the police because her husband was physically abusing her and her daughter. They let the man back into the house the next day and he killed both of them. And he went to jail for 10 years. To me, that says, Bruh. that says something. Because if a woman complains to the police, she calls the police, the man is removed from the home. She has been physically abused, her and her 10-year-old daughter. Nobody says, let's get these women some safety, let's get them some shelter, let's get them some help. They allow him to go back home. I think the statistic is like between 35 and 40% of men who are able to physically assault women and return to the environment where the abuse occurred will eventually kill them. That is wow. that's facts. And that's something that is paid absolutely no mind. And those are things that you regularly hear. Or you regularly hear casually on the radio or on the news that, you know, another another woman and child or another woman was killed via domestic violence. And then that's just the end of the conversation. So I think there's a lot of ignorance, unfortunately. I think there's a lot of lack of education, sensitivity to the topic altogether going on. And it's honestly sad, it's heartbreaking because you hear things like that and my heart still hurts. And I heard that months ago after hearing something like that, right? Because of how avoidable that was, how easily avoidable that situation is. And I'm sure that's not the only, not even close to the only time something like that has happened. There are various other um, like news breaking stories similar to that that have happened throughout the years. But the underlying cause in my opinion is just the focus on the mental states of these people, what is driving people to, to blatantly commit these kinds of crimes. These are heinous crimes. Under the law, these are heinous. Crimes involving you know, women, children, sexual assault, sexual violence, anything of that nature are heinous. So why is there no resources, no funding, no professionals trying to see what's going on? And it's very unfortunate because you have a lot of people, old and young, struggling to even label what they're feeling, what they're going through, where they've been in situations like that and just in everyday life. It's just as concerning as to when that'll change. Completely agree. Because when you, so you mentioned like this lack of resources and I think that's also a reflection of like what you touched on earlier, the importance of education when it comes to mental health. Because when you think of like programs I'll just say, for example, the high school that we went to, we used to have physical social education, right? Um, did y'all have that or no? Was that, you, you had PSE, right, Marlise? Yes, yes. Okay. Like grade nine and 10, I think, yeah. Yeah, so like we had physical social education. I just remember to me that class- Wasn't was, it personal? Wasn't the, the P- was Is it personal? personal? I don't oh, remember. It, I, I, it gotta be personal. I yeah, physical and social doesn't make sense. Okay. No, no, I think it's personal. <laughs> yeah. So personal social education. And to me, that class was a write-off. Like that was my free period. We used to have it after like PE. So I used to go in there and I used to sleep. Right. But like that was supposed to be like the mental health, um, you know, clinic basically for a school where 
we taught about like how to deal with our emotions and we watched this movie with Emily Osmond where she got cyberbullied and like I just feel like it really we was taking that for a joke so like if that's the is that the if that's the standard for teaching of mental health in private school education we something gotta give because exactly because like I think about it right the particular teacher that used to teach that class <laughs> when we used to check out on her she used to just give up and like leave so the thing is right if at a private school she literally just given up and walking at the class imagine anywhere else and like I laugh because it's hilarious like that was a joke or in in reality every ministry of um, social services building I have ever passed in Nassau alone is dilapidated empty or non-existent like there's no one that works there so there's only like two functioning social services buildings that I've seen and they always pass up and line right up for whatever stimulus checks whatever they're giving out that is horrible because social services is where you're supposed to be going when you are that woman who's being abused and you have children in the home or you are that daughter who's being molested sexually assaulted whatever else and you need you need some serious significant care those are the places that you're supposed to go those are the places that are supposed to house the therapists the psychologists the psychiatrists who are on site ready to go and take on these individuals who are who are struggling right so if in our school systems we keep keeping at what's being taught to us which is really not even really being taught to us because i used to play you know a little movie here and there they used to tell you abstain from sex don't have it abstain from it so they just like i can't believe that was a thing but we move move. (laughs) they abstain from sex don't have it um children don't have those young either uh mental health you okay you straight move on like you know what i mean this is what we're taught how are we supposed to progress as people because then we went ahead and we learned those things the hard way we learned about our mental health the hard way because we were struggling we learned about those other personal intimate things all by ourselves some people the wrong way because of just a lack of support and guidance that should be a conversation in itself but that to me is just a fitting story of where we are today as a country as a people a very fitting and unfortunately true story when you were talking about oh the fact that social services buildings as we pack up and like if you are that woman or anybody if you are anybody who needs help it's probably so hard for you to get what you need at the at the place that you're supposed to go and what I, I'm thinking about how people who are vulnerable in our country then have no choice. And I feel like it parallels to the U.S. in terms of like mental th- mental issues or like domestic issues. But they, you have no choice but to turn to the police, which involves the police in a very personal, intimate, like domestic matter most of the time. And in the Bahamas, that is a joke. Like they will literally, they don't even pick up the phone. The police don't oh. even pick up the phone sometimes. Like, thinking about how, like, how, how large of an impact, even, like, uh, even like removing funding from the budget of like minist- Ministry of Social Services, Ministry of Health, Health and Wellness, even just an action that seems so small in in Parliament, say, of of taking away fifty thousand dollars a year from this department, is like literally killing people <laughs> because of there not being enough phones at the police or like they're not even they're not even acknowledging that someone has gotten has been assaulted like i've i've heard stories about women going to the baham women going to the police back home and saying sharing that they've been 
assault like sexually assaulted and that they need help and they're not even taken seriously or they're told why were you out why were you wearing that what you was out doing so what you was out like why were you out so late what did you do to end up in this situation like exactly and like you know the the bottom line for me is personally a the bomb is a very small country which means it's almost likely it's almost always likely that the person who you either accuse of assault or has been the pinnacle of anything that has affected you mentally, physically, or emotionally, that's almost always the police boy. Or it's always the sergeant of somebody friend or whatever, right? And that in itself in a small community makes it so difficult to open up about difficult things. The second thing I've noticed is that, for example, when I even have even taken on student positions within health and wellness on campus, we have had extensive training on sensitivity, um, racialization and marginalization, how to speak to people of different um, cultures and ethnicities, how to handle and approach situations that are so private, intimate and scary, like sexual assault, domestic violence, physical, emotional, verbal abuse, how to even approach those kinds of people. Those are not trainings that are normal or even thought of within the Bahamas so when you approach a police officer or you have to report it to a police officer just so you have it on file or record they don't even know how to speak to you they start off with things like why are you dressed that way why were you in this area and that is furthering the the problem and issue that women have to be to be victimized or men have to be victimized it's never always women who are assaulted um that in itself is an issue because if we can't even speak to a victim, we can't speak to someone struggling with something. We don't know how to change ourselves internally to approach the situation we're about to enter as people. How are we going to progress and move forward? That, that's, that's difficulty in itself. Completely agree. And that goes back to the lack of resources and just the fact that they don't see that it's worth the investment in the improvement of the population and the health of the population to invest in training so that people are sensitive to these issues. It's enough. I feel like that says enough. And just hopefully with this new move to, you know, changing the name of the ministry and new government, maybe we can see some changes. I also think that in regards to the pandemic, I think it just severely highlighted the underlying issues we already had. So these things and topics that I'm talking about now, I think were just brought to like tenfold because not only were people isolated at home, potentially with their abusers or with their feelings or their undiagnosed or addressed depression or their undiagnosed or addressed anxiety, it just drove people to a completely different mindset I remember the first couple of months of lockdown I happened to make it home right before the Canadian borders closed so I was able to be home throughout the period of the pandemic they were reporting suicides the first maybe three months almost on a daily and they were talking about it so casually like young kids young private school kids too there was one in particular that I recall um they they were talking about they, they were so good in school and these kids were so, they were so sociable. They had great friend groups. They were popular and all of those things, but they were young and killed themselves. And you have to ask yourself why, because when you isolate yourself as people, we are social beings by nature, by, by nature, by evolution. We, we crave and need that 
that interaction with others, that connection with others, right? So isolating yourself for months on end with no end in sight was one of the most drastically changing parts of the pandemic. I've actually been doing some research today for this paper I'm writing um, for this class and 14% of already diagnosed young adults who were in school reported after the first three weeks of lockdown alone that their, their conditions had digressed significantly to wow. the point where they couldn't take they couldn't take any more lockdown. That was three weeks in. We were in that state for months. So you have to ask yourself those questions. Why did that happen? The murder rate went up in Nassau. How? During the pandemic. When we supposed to be locked down 24 hours, the first couple of months, the death rate went up. Of course, COVID itself had our death rate up, but people were still dying by murder, um, whatever else. But why? You would think because everyone else is inside, things shouldn't be happening, right? But it continued to progress. The rate of domestic violence increased significantly. The rate of people trying to check into our public and private hospitals for mental health assistance and were turned away. I've heard several stories of that has increased. People aren't going to school. They're staying home with their families. They can't see their friends. They can't go outside because we're just, we were so afraid and hysterical about COVID itself. We all struggled, but you have to think about the people who already struggled, how did they fare? And we had a lot of new resources. We had um, therapy online and we had um, Instagram pages pop up where, you know, sharing resources for you to um, keep yourself occupied, get yourself out of that mental hole. But long-term effects on our population are gonna be crazy. How we, how we move forward, people who might have never even thought that they were struggling with something mentally might have ended up in therapy during the course of that 18 month span. So you need therapy, but then our, our system, our healthcare system is already overrun. Our therapeutic system was extremely overrun. It would take three, four weeks to get an appointment with a therapist because of how many new patients they were seeing. Trying to seek out, and those are just people who were seeking help, people who weren't seeking help, who have this, you know, thug it out mentality, you know, we straight, we ain't dying kind of thing. Imagine how they fared, you know? And if we had more resources in place, more safeguards in place, more individuals who are even just practicing at a reasonable rate, things would have, things might have been much different. But I think the whole world experienced pandemic very similarly, but I think we just weren't prepared because you know Canada had their safeguards, US had theirs, Europe had theirs, and they were on it with their people. But us, we have no safety net because we barely even understand what mental health is. And that's concerning. Yeah, you were talking about like how we are social beings. <laughs> and I think Bahamians are extremely social beings, right? Like partying, going out, drinking is a huge part of Bahamian culture. Drinking, I think, to our own fault. Like, I actually think during the pandemic, I realized that Bahamians are probably like ver- the average. Many Bahamians are verging on alcoholism, like unchecked. Like because when they closed, especially young Bahamians, like when they closed the um, liquor stores and stuff, there was riots. It was prohibition. People were selling alcohol for two times the price it was fucking ridiculous and like why am i seeing people 
tweeting at Tuesday morning on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock that they want to go drain. How have you noticed that considered like taking into account the abrupt change in the average Bahamian's lifestyle? There's the fact that part like we can be at parties, social gatherings, literally anything as you were describing. How have you noticed that I that isolation has impacted the mental health in the Bahamas? Well, start off with, I think people don't even realize how social beings we truly are because that, you know, going to get drinks with your girls or going to go um, slam dominoes with your boys, like that is you craving social interaction with people that you like, people that you're that maybe you're like-minded to. And doing those things religiously every weekend, every Sunday, you know, we gather with our grandparents every Sunday after church and um, we have Sunday lunch that is us craving that social interaction with family members. And people will recognize just how prevalent it is. Like being locked up in your house, realizing that you cannot go see your friends. You cannot go out to that club and go drink. You can't go go see your boys and hang out and go talk. Shit, essentially, people really went crazy. And that is what led to other coping mechanisms like drinking or drug use um, that might not have existed previously. And it was just coping at that point. It was just trying to make yourself comfortable enough to get through what we didn't even know would happen, right? And so that has created some poor coping mechanisms. And I've realized myself as well, Bahamians are low-key borderline alcoholics, like just in the way that we drink. Yeah. It's crazy. Like people, people aren't just drinking one, you know, one, two drinks going home. They drink in half a bottle with the boys and then going home. Then they can exactly. go smoke a little bit and then go home. Like, you know what I mean? That was what it was. So when I would have you know, I tell my parents to go to food store and go sneak by a friend because, you know, I just going crazy. We we getting drunk, we getting high, and then going home. <laughs> like you gonna you have to make it <laughs> to you have to pack it up the store on a time and go home before you listen. And that is just like how people cope. It was like you going crazy. You you miss that stimulation, you miss that interaction so much. You wanted to do risky things, break curfew, lie to your people, you know, get your friends together low key and, and do something because of just how badly you miss that interaction and then brought the worst to some people for sure because yeah we are in our country i think that people are looking alcoholics like drinking till you pass out is not normal having half a bottle before you stop is not normal drinking a whole bottle of wine by yourself is not normal those are habits that can form into alcoholism very quickly especially when you are coping with something like isolation or loneliness and it's a poor, it's a poor, poor habit because you get used to it. That's what you do. Every time you feel lonely, even post, well, not, we're not in post-COVID yet, but as things progress and open up, people are still doing the same thing, just in groups now. They're going to restaurants and going to get drunk. They go and buy a boy's house to go smoke and get high. It's just doing those things together because we still feel some of those ways. It's just, how are you now going about dealing with it? And, or we see videos you know, TikToks and stuff on Instagram and people being out after curfew. They they trying to beat the man home kind of thing. That's just how we chose to cope. And that should signal how severe we were really affected by the isolation we experienced, the lockdowns we experienced, the restrictions, the prohibitions. Like, it should indicate just how much we were affected based on how outrageously we responded. Um, but yeah. I completely agree. And like a big indicator of that over lockdown and over the pandemic was the increase in like traffic fatalities and traffic accidents like it feels like every other weekend every other day people was getting into accident because they're trying to be out and be out as long as possible 
before they have to be home. And it's like people didn't want to be home so bad. They were staying in Bahama till five in the morning. So they didn't have to go home. Like, go home, please. Go tuck yourself in. Go to bed. Go to bed. I beg in. Like, you do not, like, I don't think people realize it's not every everyday road. It's not everyday road. But Bahamians have this road mentality. And as soon as they heard that the curfew was changing to 12, okay, just road. We write off this weekend, blah, 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 blah. They couldn't wait. But, like, even, like, recognizing that in myself, because when lockdown first happened, I was like, okay, well, I just can't see anybody so I was just home with your FaceTiming, having birthdays over Zoom, like dad sad. But when like I got, they had the news that like it was opening up. I was like, okay, big kick back. Let's go. We buy my house. We write off this weekend. And the fact that that's the immediate thing to like celebrate the end of a lockdown, your mind goes to, okay, we drinking and we ain't gonna remember this weekend. That's problematic. <laughs> exactly. And I really think about myself, that was a true story. One time, you know, I supposedly went to the food store. I did go to the food store, right? So I made a little quick detour. My friend's house, and it was me and another friend. And then we got had ourselves a little drinky drink and, you know, a little talky talk, and then went home. <laughs> that we wasn't missing. And that's who I knew. I was like, I always knew I was like a social being. And I'm the kind of person I, I really close with the people that I'm close with, right? So, like, whenever I was home, I'd get home, the flight land 12 30, I was out 4 30 on the road. Like, that was me. And I was with my girls. Mm, and we very much, very much. <laughs> we was getting cute. I was going out. And I was that. So when the, when COVID came, I was home. Like, oh, like I got home and I had to stay home. I was like, what do we do here? Like, I, I started gardening. Like, I started working out more. I started going for walks on the beach. Fortunate enough, I lived on a beach. So I could still go on the beach. I used to be taking snaps to get really jealous. Because, you know, I was on the beach and y'all was home. Um, Beach was closed. <laughs> so I was walking and I got a dog. Later on, though, much later on, I got a dog. I was in those people who got an animal. Um, and I did, I tried to cope as healthily as possible because I understood the long term lasting effects of poor coping habits. So whether that be, you know, eating like very gluttonously or um, spending, people have a spending issue too. Like people's online shopping like mad. These companies just make it billions during COVID because you can still order stuff. You can still have a chip to your front door. You can still Uber Eats and have it to your front door. You can still have craving and order whatever you want. So you weren't totally cut off, but you had to like make the ways that you were coping just lost in your mind. And I tried to do the best that I could, just understanding where I could go within, within my isolation personally, but also how those things could affect me in the long run. I don't think many people considered how being at the home until 5 a.m. drinking or um, the drug use or, you know, whatever else they was into, how that would affect them in the long run. Because at one point, you know, I pray COVID will end. COVID, you know, will be at a place where we can resume the normal activities that we used to once love, probably in a different way. I don't think we'll ever go back to how things were before, but we will go back to a place where life is a lot more comfortable. How are you then going to shake that alcohol habit? How are you then going to shake that money turning habit? You know what I mean? And that goes back to those mental health coping problems and coping solutions. So yeah, COVID did us a bit dirty. And I think if we were more educated, because I knew what would happen, but I think if we were more educated on the lasting effects of poor coping, poor coping habits or um, just how our little sneakiness was going to affect us later on, we might have made different choices as a country, not just as people. Because yeah, we needed to survive, okay? We had to go see our friends. We have to just rode once in a while because 
we were so isolated for so long, but there is a point where it goes from, okay, I'm just trying to survive to that's a bit much. Um, and that line seems to be wavering for some people. So as, like you said, like we do not know when COVID is ending. We can pray that it's ending soon and that we'll soon be out of this pandemic life. But as we, as we continue to experience what we are experiencing and you're talking about like poor, poor coping mechanisms that like we've developed, what are some like healthy coping mechanisms that you think should maybe be talked about more that can like replace ones that we've become accustomed to? I can speak from my personal experience as well as just what I've heard others are doing. I think coping mechanisms and what is deemed healthy and what is not, is really an individual choice because you have to know your limit. You have to know how much you can handle. And when it goes from an okay habit to have to kind of fill some time and um, feel okay, feel good about yourself, get yourself moving and where it's in excess, you have to know as an individual where to draw that line. But some things that I know that I did and others was definitely gardening. Like I found sitting outside in the sun planting something that's new it's something that's living and growing like kind of gives a sense of responsibility to keep it alive um as well as getting a dog you know not everyone's gonna want to get a dog trust it's a lot of work but um those are some outdoor things some people started to run some people started to go swim they got outside and got active there were a lot of outdoor groups that formed the people who just needed to get themselves moving I know for me throughout the past three years of my life exercise has been like a staple and me feeling cool and yes you know I put on my COVID pounds for sure and I happened to get into a relationship during the pandemic as well which you know that also adds to pounds but I um found myself really happy I was more valuing the time that I had to spend with people because I knew how it was without it I um got back into the gym as soon as it was open I love to cook so I cooked a lot I wanted to keep my food, you know, tasting good, but not too bad because we were just so sedentary. We were sitting inside all day. Um, reading. I am not a big reader outside of school purposes, but people were killing books as well. Um, reading to keep themselves stimulated, watching, listening to podcasts, watching, um, you know, different programs online, starting new shows. People started YouTube channels. People started vlogging, like just ways to keep themselves mentally and physically stimulated throughout just difficult periods and I think it doesn't only apply to isolation it can apply to any period of your life that you're finding yourself in need of an escape from something else a coping mechanism is your need to escape from something else so you're you're doing something else to distract yourself from what might be causing you discomfort mentally and just recognizing that a there is something that is bothering you there is something that is making you say I need to be somewhere else be someone else go somewhere else is the first step because you need to feel that. You need to understand why you're there, what has brought you to that place. And once you know and you are working through that initial problem, you can get into working out. You can get into cooking. You can get into reading. You can um, do things you've never tried. Um, whatever really, whatever interests you. That could be some people started businesses. Many people started businesses. I started a business throughout as well, just presenting things that you love when you're good at and you want to share with others that's a great way of coping and making some money at the same time so that can range from anything anything of personal interest it's just making sure that you know what your line is when it goes from a healthy coping mechanism to an excess where you're you're losing yourself and you're escaping to this thing this person this place 
and that's true to recognize in making the decision of what what works for you yeah I completely agree I caught the tail end of that but I think my go-to coping mechanism during this well one the the podcast was a product of this pandemic um I think I was definitely a big reader like I was starting a book like I would start a book read it and within the next day I was reading another book like I would read like five books a week like it was it was that where I was like I need to not think of what's happening right now outside of me so I'm in the book now um I journal um every day that's like been a big thing from like before the pandemic but I think I found that it really helped during the pandemic because even though I found that I didn't have a lot to say like if I was writing about like daily routine, a lot of things that would come out of me writing about my day would be like, oh, today I felt kind of sad because I'm still in pen- in the lockdown and I haven't seen my friends in a while. And like acknowledging that I felt lonely or wanted to be somewhere else, things like that. Um, <clears throat> I just, to like segue into the, the next topic and like, but still based on this coping mechanism, I think a big thing, that came out of this pandemic is I actually decided to um, seek therapy. So I got counseling through my university and while coping mechanisms are good and something that you can, you know, do on your own while, if they're healthy, I think for me, there was a point where I was like, there's only so far that me writing my thoughts down in a journal will take me. So I should seek professional help. And I just wanted to know what you think aside from, you know, coping mechanisms, what do you think is the value and importance of different therapeutic measures? Oh, what do I think? Yeah. Okay. Um, so therapy is again, a very individual process, right? So there are many different forms of therapy. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. So if there is a behavior that you're exhibiting or a thought process that you're exhibiting that is forcing you almost, you might feel it's forcing you to elicit a particular behavior cognitive behavioral therapy will allow you to dig into why you're thinking the way you are to help you to change some harmful behaviors so that's one that I think many people can benefit from because at the end of the day almost all mental illnesses will elicit a behavior that might be unwanted and that is being stemming that is stemming from your thoughts um there's psychotherapy which is more talk therapy based so you might have experienced a trauma or a difficult patch in your life and you just need someone to talk to about it that feels safe that feels comfortable and it's going to give you some some educating advice but also some some life advice and as someone who you, you could just sit down and talk it could be a dialogue throughout your session back and forth until you feel internally resolved with whatever you're facing um there's also psychiatry so that'll go into medicating mental illnesses and that is when you you maybe refer to a psychiatrist from a psychologist or a therapist if they suspect you have a particular mental illness that requires medication so that could be um, bipolar disorder it could be bipolar depression it could be some severe depression severe anxiety generalized anxiety or situational anxieties Um, and that is simply going to be another tool for you so the medication will help you to manage any physical symptoms you're experiencing um, and help to kind of change your brain chemistry a bit but the therapy will always be my recommendation because it will allow you to address the root of your problem and find some true comfort and solution in that. Um, 
Um, and that could range from short-term therapy to long-term. There's, you know, intermediate. So it's just dependent on what your concern is and how long you need. You know, your therapist is there for you forever, however long you need. That could be two sessions, that could be 10, that could be years of therapy. It's all dependent on what you need and what best fits you and suits you to help you solve whatever it is you're going through, whatever you feel in, whatever you need. Um, um, so those are different ways that you can get therapy and the different forms that it comes in. And it's, it's really just matching the therapist that is practicing what you feel will best suit you and your issue to you and finding, the, finding one that you like, finding one that you enjoy, um, you're comfortable talking to and getting deep in your nitty gritty, whatever's going on with you. Um, but those are the different ways that therapy can happen. What do you think is the most valuable aspect of like people going to therapy or engaging in different therapeutic measures, considering all the different options that you were discussing or like? Um, I think the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest, I guess, plus of therapy is you are not going through your struggle alone, no matter how alone you might feel mm-hmm. in your own life, your everyday life, in your situation, in, in whatever season you are in your life you are never alone. You have someone that is there for you and solely for you with your best intention at heart and that simply wants to help you. And so once you find that person that is working with a method that suits the concern that you are presenting with, that'll be your ride or die until you finish working through and getting through and moving through whatever it is you need to get through and they will never leave you. I feel like the biggest thing that people can feel when they're when they're going through something or dealing with someone is something is alone and that lonely feeling is something that I I never want anyone to feel because feeling lonely is so tough it can be so rough especially when you're going through something else on top of that and therapy gives you that it gives you that stable base that person that you're in contact with once a week every other week however it is that best works for you and it's that person is there for you till the very end of that situation that season that problem and beyond people will stay in therapy just to be in therapy just to keep themselves in check and that's okay too um and I think it gives you that option you don't you don't need to feel like you need to have this big group of people in your life to to get through your issue you have that one person in your life that helps you get through the issue yeah that's what my therapist was for me in the past year and a half like I would look forward so much to my meetings with with her like that really was my queen and I agree like I really just needed that one person who I could trust and like feel secure and sharing what was going on with and like know that they're not judging me like nothing is in the way of me communicating openly with this person and I can just like I like I think it feels like a lot to do that with your friends sometimes because it's like yeah you're just dumping like you need somebody that's not a friend you know or not your partner Mm -hmm. or somebody where I'm not gonna feel guilty for dump like dumping my shit on you yeah exactly like one time I had a therapist tell me and this is a therapist I see I still see um and they said to me the 20 the other 23 hours out of this day this is the one hour where you can be whoever it is you need to be if you need to be loud if you need to cry if you need to cuss like whatever you need to be in this one hour this is that one hour that you can do that you can be whoever it is you need to be to help you get through what you're dealing with and like that was that in itself made me cry so I was like oh my gosh like I agree you can you have your friends and I'm that friend you know I'm always that friend that's just like I'm there for you 100% whatever you need you tell me whatever it is you need to and I'm always there for you 
but being that person who needs that person I don't like just like like you said like feeling like I'm dumping everything onto that person or my significant other either like that one person that's not your friend it's not your your partner it's that one person that you trust wholeheartedly and you can just be whoever it is you need to be that is what a therapist is for you and that that could come from that counseling can come from anyone it could be a confided a professional that you confide in it could be someone that you know simply for that purpose and they've offered that to you it could be you know a church member so, you know some people will go and confide in their pastors or their priests because that is that person for them it's whoever you need to seek out therapy from doesn't need to be professional it can just be someone that is that person for you that you trust and you know has your best interest at heart 100 i totally agree i think a big misconception i had about therapy was like okay i'm just gonna be talking to the stranger and the stranger is just gonna know all of my business and deep secrets and i don't know they're gonna start some kind of blog about me and suddenly i'm gonna see my life on the internet like i don't know Literally, my head went through the worst case scenario, but genuinely, it is so important to have someone that's not a friend because I am also that person who I don't like to complain. I don't like crying in front of people because I'm just like not me being a burden to these other people's lives. But when you go to therapy, I the, I was crying maybe every session because I I think I didn't realize how much of an emotional person I am. I would literally be talking about the weather. Suddenly, my eyes tearing up like genuinely things like that that I didn't know I was emotional about I would just be so emotional and I think that was something that was very cathartic for me in that way where I was like I had a lot of emotions bottled up that I wasn't able to convey to people properly because I think the dialogue that you have with a therapist is I don't know obviously they're a professional but there's something spicy about the dialogue you have with your therapist where it's like they know what to say to prompt you and to like encourage you to say things that you maybe didn't even think that you wanted to talk about so yeah therapy just 10 out of 10 would recommend for sure same here I'd recommend you I've definitely like changed parts of my life that I never thought I even needed to change because I went through therapy and I addressed some things that were really affecting my quality of life and I wouldn't have done if I wasn't prompted by other things whether it be like a relationship you just genuinely want to be in and you struggling or it could be family relationships as well you know that relationship with your mom or your dad that you believe to fix because group therapy is a thing for a reason right group therapy allows you to heal those wounds and within relationships within yourself and other people so that you can progress the whole point is so that you can continue to progress as a human being and be a functioning member of society that is the definition of what being like a not an adult but like a human is outside of the literal biological context is you are able to be a functioning member of society meaning you're contributing and you're making money essentially and that is the whole goal right so you continue to progress and be that person I think you mentioned it briefly when we were talking about therapy and like the different people that you can reach out to when you want to talk but like I know sometimes people will go to their pastor or a member of the church like a trusted member something like that um and that's also a good resource but I think often um back home sometimes religion can kind of like I don't know skew or distort the meaning of like seeking professional help as in like a therapist or maybe you need someone who can prescribe you like medication do you think that seeking help at the church is comparable to the seeking like professional therapy like do you think it's comparable or 
What do you think? I think it can be. And I say that because there are some therapists that are full-fledged therapists. They've done the training, they've done the schooling, and they also have a theological perspective on it as well. So if you're seeking that out and you want a therapist that also has that background and is able to give you insight in that context along with the general context as well, perfect, that's great. Now that is not all pastors or priests. All pastors and priests might present a different story to you, a different framework to you. So I think you just need to be careful about what you're looking for. Now, if you're looking for only that spiritual guidance, um, you're looking for someone to, to guide you in that way, in a biblical sense, um, who can provide you support in that way, perfect. Now it's the person for you. It's also dependent on you, what you're looking for. And it's just, if you're looking for someone who is going to give you both, is going to give you a traditional therapeutic relationship along with that um, theological intervention as well you need to seek a therapist that does that so I can think of a couple off the top of my mind there's um, Mrs. Felicious she is she is one of those people she can provide you therapeutic help um, in the in the traditional framework along with the spiritual guidance if that's what you're looking for that is the only person in the Bahamas that I know of that does that and advertises that way but she's one of those people. And then, of course, there are pastors who throughout their lifetime can tell you, you know, oh, they've gained the experience and knowledge necessary to help you with your problems. But it's totally up to you as an individual if that is the help that you want. And I think it can be comparable, but you need to be careful of what you're looking for. Because you're presenting with anxiety and you go to a pastor, you're not going to get what you're looking for. But if you're having some spiritual turmoil or religious turmoil and that's you need to go to, perfect. So I think it's just consumer's choice you need to be careful about. Who are you going to for what? Completely yeah, agree. Yeah, I agree. I hope that uh, as we were speaking of like education earlier, I hope that like a part of that education can obviously be like emphasizing which resources are appropriate for what and like how people should go about like access and also making things accessible. Um, like for a lot of people, I think that like a pastor or like, a religious figure is simply the most accessible thing. And I think just to wrap things up and also like as we're talking about, you know, what is happening in the Bahamas, what can be done. I think that we've touched on this like throughout the entire episode, but what do you think can be done specifically to improve like accommodations and reconsideration for mental health in lockdown and like just to strengthen support systems in the Bahamas? Um, I think the best, the best way to go about that would be, like I said before, education and then um, actually putting that into practice. So what you're educating the public on, whether it be, you know, better, better hygiene habits, that could be sleep hygiene, that could be um, your own literal health to improve your mental status, um, making things more accessible, like improving social services. I know it's kind of in ruins in a sense right now but like I said not every family is able to afford $100 an hour for a therapy session right we're fortunate that we have access to to different things that are allowing that for us but for the general public when I speak about this I'm going to speak on it from a general public perspective improving the social services um I guess their programming would be one of the best ways to go about it allowing more accessibility to all for therapy for a psychiatrist for even just counselors having general counselors available throughout 
you know, extended business hours just for those people that might come in later or, um, like I said, creating and fostering an environment where learning about mental health is a regular thing. So having, just that we have all these commercials and these um, party related um, adverts on TV throughout the process of elections, having things like that geared towards mental health year round, where it's just, oh, these are the hotlines for, you know, doctor's hospital, whatever, or um, these are the available hours for maybe even Sandals. I know Sandals has a team of psychiatrists, psychologists, and therapists on board for those inpatient services, but creating an outpatient service so people can seek help from those people on a regular basis. And just trying to improve what's already there. I think it can be a bit much to ask a country to put in place things that are not there, because not only will it take more time, they'll take more resources, more money, and more people. But if we improve upon the system we already have by reaching into schools, reaching into homes, reaching into businesses, um, corporations, and just teaching, educating, acknowledging that this is a situation that we have, and these are the ways that you can get help, and these are the ways that you can help, because I'm sure there are a lot of people that were going to be a part of that change. I think we are a few of those. Um, creating that environment where people can flourish in that way, get the help that they need, become the help that people need, um, can help us to continue to progress in this country in a way that we can then put in place those new systems. Having psychiatric wings in hospitals, having more therapeutic clinics that are available with NIB, those kinds of things. So those systems can come into play after we already have the bases covered. And right now we need to finish covering our bases. Um, off the top of my head, those are the things that I think are immediate, that require immediate attention, uh, could very quickly improve the quality of life of the average Bahamian. No, I completely agree. And I just think that's such a good way to round all of this off because we did start with like, talking about what can we do better or what can the government do better to foster a better environment for Bahamians and for our mental health. And I think that's a great way to close this off. And just thank you for coming. I, this has been such a good episode. Of course. Anytime. I've been here taking notes. Like, listen. Yeah, thank you so much, Marlies. Thank you for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule. This was such an important and helpful conversation. And I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to collab with you and like bring this information to our community and like hopefully to, you know, share this with the larger Bahamian community and like just start having these conversations, which are so important. But thank you, Queen. Oh, also you mentioned your business but we would like to like extend this up like platform to you if you want to plug your business period plug it up but like you know let us know okay so i started a little at home based like baking and food business it's totally not therapy related i won't start any kind of therapy practice until i'm fully licensed that's really the most responsible thing to do but the business i did start it's called island food cafe 242 you can find me on instagram Clearly, I'm currently not in Nassau, so I'm kind of suspended for now, but I'll be home for a bit in October, and then, of course, I'll be home for Christmas, so can hit us up for your Christmas dessert news. Um, but yeah, there are lots of great photos for you to see and check out my work in the meantime until I am back home. Um, but yeah. Yes, okay, make sure you hit her up for your dessert needs. I, I'm sure it's great. I actually had your cooking back in high school 
when you do food nutrition. I remember that we had something and you cook and I was like, okay, bad. But Marlise <laughs> is the truth. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Make sure to follow us on our pages at Weagling Pod on Twitter and at Weagling Podcast on Instagram to stay updated when we post new episodes. Make sure you're taking care of your mental health and we'll see you in two weeks. Weagling.